All right, Jesse, it was super cool that you were able to bring some personal information to our little historical case last time. What's the story this week? When a beloved mother of two goes missing after going out for a morning jog, suspicion is cast on her soon-to-be ex-husband, and secret suburban infidelities are revealed. I'm Andy Cassette. And I'm Jesse Prey, and this is Love Murder. Hi, Jesse. Welcome back, everyone, to Love Murder, a podcast about quirks, jerks, and love gone fatally wrong. That might have been one of my faves. <laughs> you can find Love Murder on Twitter and Instagram at Love Murder Pod and on Facebook by searching Love Murder Podcast. If you enjoy this show, please love slash murder a five-star rating on your podcast app, subscribe, and review to help new people discover the show. Also, if you're interested in supporting the show more directly, head on over to patreon.com slash lovemurderpod, where you can learn all about the different tiers of support, and we're about to receive our custom Kinto water bottles. Ugh, finally. For finally. our 20 plus? 20, 20 plus. plus. Yeah. Yes. So they're very cool. So if you've been a member for three months or more, you're getting one. If you right want to join now, then three months, you'll get your pick of an amazing Kinto Love Murder Water Bottle. Huge thank you to our patrons who've been with us from the beginning and have been very patiently yes, waiting yes. for their water bottles. They are a common. Speaking of Patreon, we are absolutely ecstatic this week to welcome and shout out a new set of amazing patrons. This week, we'd love to welcome Emily S. and Allie K. Welcome, you two. Thank you so much, guys, for being patrons, for your reviews, for listening, and if it's your first time, for just tuning in and giving us a shot. Andy and I are very excited because this week, we are in person. We are together. And that means it's going to be a rollicking episode <laughs> because the chemistry when we are in person is just undeniable. What is this? It's a fly swatter. Where is the one I bought him? Where is the fancy ass fly swatter I bought your husband as a gift? I have no idea. I don't know. I Ask him. Insulted. <laughs> insulted that he's using like a cheap a spatula. like Kmart. This is literally a spatula. <laughs> well, I'm glad we started the episode with an insult to Andy <laughs> because we have clearly been using a cheap fly swatter and not the fancy fly buzz killing device that you provided us Precisely. with. Precisely. <laughs> well, hopefully I can make it up to you with an incredible episode today. I think so. On Saturday, July 12th, 2008, in the safe suburb of Cary, North Carolina, a worried Jessica Adam called 911 around 1.50 p.m. Jessica told the dispatcher that her good friend Nancy Cooper was missing. The two women had made plans to paint Jessica's living room at 8 in the morning, and Nancy hadn't shown up. Jessica's voice shook as she explained that Nancy had supposedly went for a run at 7 in the morning, but no one had heard from the beautiful mother of two since. Just because of the situation with the divorce, I'm just wondering if you could help. I don't know what I should do. She went on to explain that Nancy's phone and car were still at the home she shared with her husband of seven and a half years, a husband that Nancy was currently embroiled in a divorce and custody dispute with. 
Jessica insisted that Nancy would never have left her friends or especially her two daughters worried or unsure about her whereabouts. This wasn't like her at all. She seemed like she wanted the operator to read the danger between the lines. She stopped occasionally to speak to someone else, another one of Nancy's close friends who was deeply concerned about her. She then said, her husband, maybe he's done something. I don't, I mean, God forbid. Soon, other friends and Nancy's tight-knit family from Canada expressed the same alarm. Something was wrong. And it was with aching hearts that Nancy's loved ones turned their suspicion towards her tall, dark, intelligent husband, Brad Cooper. To outsiders, Brad and Nancy seemed to be emblematic of the American dream, both tall, athletic, striking, and smart. Brad had his MBA and made a good living in the technology sector. Nancy was an incredible mother and the heart of a community who adored her. Their two little girls were just about as cute as you could imagine. But those who knew them well knew that the couple had always been somewhat of a mismatch. Nancy was gregarious, vivacious, the life of any party, while Brad was described as quiet, mild-mannered, and reserved. The couple had been held together with the support of Nancy's family and by their beautiful children. But over the years, secrets, cruelty, and control had eroded all love and trust that had remained. Soon, those secrets would be exposed to the world, revealing a string of shocking suburban infidelities, callous and controlling behavior, hidden hopes and fears, and the truth about what happened to the missing woman at the center of it all, everyone's best friend, Nancy Rents Cooper. So Andy, this is a real Dateline meets Desperate Housewives episode. Oh, shit. Some of the shenanigans in the suburb could rival Wisteria Lane. And speaking of Dateline, my main sources today are an episode of Dateline Season 19, Episode 89, called The Day She Disappeared, and the book Love Lies by Amanda Lamb, who is a journalist and author and actually lived in the same community as Nancy Cooper. Okay. I think the best way, as you know, I prefer, to understand how things went so calamitously wrong is to go back to the beginning. And I would like to start with the sunshiny soul of Nancy. Nancy Lynn Rents was born on August 25th, 1973, the third born child of Donna and Gary. She had an 18 months older brother named Jim, who grew up to be a police officer, as well as a twin sister named Krista, who beat her out of the womb by five minutes. Little sister Jill followed nine years later. The family was extremely close, and the kids had a warm and loving upbringing in Edmonton, Alberta, in Canada. From the time she was little, Nancy attracted friends with her big spirit and pure joy for life. She was a bright kid who grew up to be a tall, thin, wholesome-looking beauty. Nancy was 5'10", about 130 pounds, and she looked like the type of early 30-something you'd imagine modeling Patagonia or like Runner's World or maybe even the cover of Parents Magazine. She's good-looking, but there's this wholesomeness to her that makes her look so accessible. Yeah, approachable and everything. Approachable, yeah. friendly. The author, Amanda Lamb, even talks about how she had seen her at the pool once with her kids and she was like struck by how incredibly beautiful she was. Mm -hmm. And then when they were 
distributing these missing posters, she noticed for the first time like she had a gap in her teeth. It was just one of those things that humanized her so much that she hadn't noticed when she saw her yeah. across the way. Yeah. So yeah, she's beautiful in a very, very down-to-earth way. As you would expect from twins, Krista and Nancy were extraordinarily close. They were best friends who could read each other's thoughts and had each other's faces. Nancy's children even called their aunt Krista Mum because the women were so similar. Wow. However, Nancy was also really close to her other siblings as well. Oldest brother Jim said, I always thought the world of her. She was just that person to me, the one that was always there when you needed her. Yep. Younger sister Jill said, she was my entire life growing up. I wanted to be like Nancy. I wanted to do everything like her. She was just that girl who not only guys, but everyone wanted to be around. My friends wanted her to be their sister. Yeah. Everybody loved her. Guys want to be with her and girls want to be, be her. her. Yeah, that vibe. After attending university, Nancy eventually moved to Calgary and worked for IBM. It was there when she was about 25 or 26 that Nancy met the similarly aged Brad Cooper, which I'm, go I'm going to call Brad Cooper, not to be confused with the film star Bradley Cooper. No, seriously. <laughs> uh, yes, the similarly aged Brad Cooper, who was employed as an IT specialist. Brad revealed to Nancy that he had recently gone out of a turbulent engagement where his heart had been desperately broken and he was looking to date again. Nancy offered to introduce him to a girlfriend of hers and invited him out to meet them at a bar. But once there and chatting, Brad and Nancy realized that they might actually like one another instead. Oh. Most of the Brents family took an immediate liking to Brad. Krista and her future husband, Jim, double dated with a new couple. And Krista was charmed when Brad wouldn't move from the couch after Nancy fell asleep on his lap while watching a movie. Oh. When Krista and Jim went to bed, Brad was stuck watching Steel Magnolias all by himself. Uh, I mean, you could still reach for the remote. <laughs> I also like that they didn't like turn it off for him. They're like, bye. Yeah. <laughs> Donna and Sister Jill liked how Brad had pursued and swept Nancy off her feet. Father Gary found Brad somewhat antisocial, especially compared to the very outgoing Nancy. But he had to admit that he was very bright and very intelligent. Yeah, I mean, also, like, there's such truth to having a yin-yang relationship. Oh, 100%. You, know? you and I both have that with our yeah. husbands. So it's like, I don't think that that's some, a reason to not celebrate the relationship. Yes, it's only different. as long as you appreciate each other's differences. Yeah, but it seems like there might be something a little bit more off. Yes, here. if there's some sort of resentment that one partner is always taking center stage. Yeah then that's where the problem lies. Yeah. But, I mean, it can be equally problematic if two people are competing for center stage. In turn, Brad fell in love with all of the Rences. He and his family weren't quite as close. His father, Terry, was an organic chemist who had always demanded excellence from his son. He set an extremely high bar for performance and academics that Brad found he did sometimes meet, sometimes he had a hard time meeting, and he never really felt like he truly lived up to his father's expectations. Okay. And they were a loving family. They just were not incredibly warm and close and jovial yeah. like the Rences. Yeah. The Rences actually sounded a lot like my family. Yeah. Like they would stay up into the wee hours of the morning drinking wine and playing games and talking and having deep conversations with yeah. each other. They were just really, 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 really close. And he ended up just loving that vibe. Of course. This was the family that he had always wanted to be a part of. And the Rences in turn really liked him because at that point, 
Nancy was spending, obviously, time in Calgary. That's where she was living. She wasn't coming home as often. But Brad liked the family so much that he would be like, why don't we go to your parents' house this weekend? So cute. And so he was bringing her actually back into the fold. And he also really enjoyed going to their family vacation home where they spend a lot of time together. So it came as no surprise to anyone when Brad popped the question a little more than a year after they started dating on Christmas 1999. Okay. They began to plan a big wedding for the spring of 2001. They booked a hall and Nancy found the perfect dress. She is so pretty in this dress. Her blonde hair is amazing, huh? Mm-hmm. She's just so classic looking. Yeah. So she found the perfect dress. They were planning this big wedding. But while she was going through the motions, she secretly was kind of worried that she was making the wrong decision. Really? She told her mother that she still occasionally thought about her ex-boyfriend. So she had dated this guy and they had actually been very in love. He was a lot older than her. How much? They didn't say, but they said that it was significant. He was a very successful businessman and he had grown children. Whoa. Okay. Yes. So he was probably, I would guess, in the neighborhood of 20 plus years older I than her. I would think so too, yeah. Based on that. And she actually had a history of dating older men. That was what she was attracted to. She was attracted to outgoing, successful older men. Okay. And she had a big energy. So she kind of needed that type of… Sounds like someone else I know. <laughs> presence too. <laughs> Did guys, I love dating older guys. Before. And then I just met Nathaniel, who on the inside is the oldest man in the world. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So she was still having feelings for this ex-boyfriend, but he was very determined not to have children anymore. He was done. He had raised his kids. He wanted to enjoy his life. And she had a very strong pull to have her own biological child, especially because his kids are grown. They're more like peers to her than children. So that's why they had broken up. But now she's facing matrimony and she's thinking about what she lost. But her mom just said, who do you love? Who would make you happy? Yep. And she realized that Brad could offer her more stability and he could offer her children. Yep. He really, really wanted to have kids with her. Yeah. So she ended up choosing stability and children over this passionate love she felt for this other person. And it's kind of a good thing that she came to that conclusion relatively quickly because Brad was then offered a job with Cisco Systems in North Carolina. And legally, the only way Nancy could move with him to the United States was if they got married. Okay. So they ended up canceling their big 2001 spring wedding plans and instead getting married in a very sweet private ceremony in the Rents home before a justice of the peace in October of 2000. Okay. Her family was really happy for her, but the moment was bittersweet. Not only would Nancy be moving far away from everyone, she'd also be giving up a promising career because she could not legally work in the United States. Such bullshit. It is. Her sister Jill said... She was so successful here, and she gave up everything to go there and try something new, and she just wanted a family. She wanted to buy the house. She wanted to have the 2.5 kids and the two cars. So she was willing to give up so much of herself and what was important to her to make it happen. Yeah. Which sucks. I mean, this is a a problem a lot of women face. Yeah. Is that we are drawn duly to having a family and having a career, and oftentimes we can't have it all. Yeah. Yeah. Right from the get-go, 
there were problems. Oh, no. Really? Yeah. Brad worked really long hours, and he often traveled as a network engineer at Cisco. He specialized in voice over internet protocol, VOIP, which involved a phone system that was rooted through the computer, which is a precursor to everything we use these days, Skype, and then... Well, no one uses Skype anymore. Well, no, I was like, I think Skype was the next one. It was like Cisco, (laughs) Skype, Zoom, Google Hangouts, all of those. WhatsApp and FaceTime. Exactly. That's probably the incorrect order, but this is the genesis. And I think Cisco was one of the pioneers. I remember Cisco, yeah. Yeah. So he was involved in this and she ended up, initially, she didn't even have a car. So she was stuck without a job. No. She didn't have a car. Not okay. Yeah. She had a new husband who... It seemed like, according to her family, that he enjoyed the fact that they weren't on equal playing ground yeah, anymore. Yeah, it's not cool. No. It's it's really heartbreaking because he had married this magnetic, powerful woman. He was probably intimidated by her and had to, like, bring her down and put down her outgoing, friendly, bubbly nature in order to feel more equal. And Bingo. Used. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. So Jill said, when she moved to North Carolina, things just started to slowly unravel. She always dated someone that held his ground with her and Brad couldn't. She overpowered him. And I feel like when they moved, it was a deliberate move on his part. It was an immediate power shift. Yep. I think for him in a sick way, looking back, it felt good for him. It felt like he had his thumb on her. I think he got some kind of sick joy from making my sister feel small. It made him feel big. That's so gross. It's really, really sad. Twin sister Krista said that it was after the move when Nancy was far away from her family, who was such a source of support and love and strength, that Brad's true colors started to show he was so tight with his money, his house, his car. So fucked up. It's very hard, especially her being in a situation where she cannot work because she doesn't have a green card. Yeah, no shit. It happens all the time. Watch 90 Day Fiance. Yeah. This is something that people can use, specifically, usually men, statistically. To keep women down. And I feel very fortunate that I had a very supportive husband because when I had Alden, I was a stay-at-home mom for years before I started the podcast for two years. Yeah, but he respected what you were doing as a stay-at-home yes. mom. That's the difference. He he really did. And he also did not do, we're going to get into some of the crap that this guy pulled. He made me feel so valuable. Yeah. And I was contributing to the household so much. And he was also the one who supported me in starting Love Murder yeah, and has been nothing but unbelievably supportive in every way. I can't imagine going through some of the things Nancy ultimately goes through and in motherhood with a partner that doesn't make you feel like a valued partner. Yeah, from the get-go. From the get-go, like he, before you intention. even have yep. children. Yep. Nancy was his last concern, last thought. Nancy got really lonely, very sad, very depressed. She was miserable. And there wasn't as much of like an online community back then either where no. you could like connect with your loved ones this from was afar. the time we were in high school. Yep. We're talking about 2000, early 2001. Yeah, barely chat room stuff. Like it wasn't yep. any sort of network like Facebook yet. Nancy and Brad had a brief separation during their early marriage because of these issues. I mean, Nancy was like not going to get let this go without a fight. She was like, fuck this shit. Fuck this noise. And so she ended up traveling a little bit. And then she actually went back to Canada around the time that Krista was getting married to Jim and said that she was planning on leaving him. So for the wedding? It was for Krista's wedding and and said we're separated. She even told them that there was somebody else that she had met 
during the separation. And he, I think, visited Canada at some point. She was fully ready to walk away. And it was her family who really wanted her to give it another shot. Really? They did. And I have to say, a lot of this stuff is hindsight. So a lot of their commentary is they're looking back and they're realizing that maybe they missed some of these red flags. Yeah, but was she maybe like everything wasn't being disclosed to them too? Yes. I'm not sure exactly how much they knew and when. I just feel like that has to be such a hard weight to have on you as the family. Well, even little sister Jill said that she was actually upset with Nancy because she felt like Nancy was just throwing in the towel and she was already talking to somebody else. Yep. And that, yes, it's hard, but marriage is hard and you work on it. Obviously, they had such a great example with their parents' marriage. Yep. And I don't think that they – fully realize the extent of how sad Nancy was. Yeah. Especially if she sat outgoing and bubbly, I'm sure she probably was really good at covering a little bit of it up. Absolutely. And so when Brad came to Canada and he went to, this was the new boyfriend guy was not there anymore. It was a totally separate time. He went to the family's home where Nancy was the vacation home. And he told her he was so sorry. That he had screwed up. He knew he had been taking her for granted. He was going to change. He loved her. He wanted to have a family with her. He wanted them to focus on that. All of those things. He said all of the right things. And the family was behind him as well. Yeah. Because he seemed truly contrite. Yeah. And so she decided at that point, let's really give this a real shot. Maybe my heart wasn't completely in North Carolina. Maybe I didn't give it a shot either. You weren't giving it a shot. I wasn't giving it a shot. Let's do this and let's really build a family. So with renewed purpose, they set out to realize Nancy's dream of having children, but it was not an easy road. Okay, so guys, trigger warning for miscarriage. Just fast forward like 30 seconds or a minute. I'll try to make this brief. Nancy suffered five miscarriages before she became pregnant with her first child. That's so many. Way too many for one person to... It is. And Nancy's close friends would later claim... That at least one of those occasions, Brad refused to come home from work and told Nancy to take a taxi to the hospital. What? Yes. Now, this is a claim that Brad would later refute. So he says that didn't happen. But why would a friend say that? Yeah. They said Nancy told her. They wouldn't have made it up. No. That's horrific. Could you imagine saying that about your partner? Absolutely. No. You would not make that shit up. No. So when little Bella did arrive on February 23rd, 2004... (gasps) You know, very close. She's in the club. Right between you and me and dad. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it did seem to mend the fractured marriage, at least for a little while. Nancy was over the moon with her baby and becoming a mother. It was a very real honeymoon yeah. period. She had truly found her life's purpose, which I think whether you're a working mom or a stay-at-home mom, when you have a kid, you find your life's yeah. purpose. Yeah. It's a different way of being now. Yeah. And even her husband, maybe still kind of being a dick, could not dim her joy. That's what her family said. Her family's like, I don't even know. He could have been a dick still, but she wouldn't have even noticed because she was so happy. Yep. Life was actually pretty good for the Coopers at this point. Nancy had the baby and the family that she'd always dreamed of. And the community she lived in was filled with similarly aged parents. There was a great community around them. Yeah, like my little hood. Yes, exactly. It was kind of like that. At the time, I guess, Carrie, North Carolina. Their population was something like 90% were married with young children. Wow. That's incredible. Yes. So it was a really, really fun community to have children in. 
social butterfly Nancy had obviously no problems fitting in. Yeah. And she made some really, really loyal, great, lifelong friends. One of these friends, who might not have been so loyal, was a brassy blonde named Heather Meetor. Brassy blonde? I mean, you can tell by my descriptions whether I'm going to like somebody or not, huh? Immediately. <laughs> Guys, I'm not good it's about like the hiding the first it. adjective. <laughs> so back to this brassy blonde. Heather almost immediately rubbed Nancy's sisters the wrong way. Oh, no. According to Love Lies, after meeting Heather, Jill warned her sister not to allow her in her inner circle. Jill said she was a homewrecker. She was an awful person. I don't know why on earth my sister would ever connect herself with this person. So Jill had met Heather when visiting Nancy, and this is from Love Lies, guys, and was put off by the brash woman who seemed to need to be the center of attention with everyone. Oh, God. Jill asked Nancy why she would be friends with such a person. Nancy said that Jill just did not know Heather the way that she did. Watch out for her, Nancy, Jill had told her big sister. Jill recalled going on a beach trip with Nancy and her neighbors one summer before Katie, her second-born, was born, when Brad and Heather appeared to be too close. They took a two-hour walk alone on the beach together one day. What? What? Okay, I love your husband. There's no way I'd stroll along the beach with him for two hours. Could you imagine? No. I think the only time that Dan and I would spend two hours alone is after you've passed out and we stay up drinking. Well, yeah, that's happened several times. <laughs> but like a long romantic barefoot walk on the beach. When everyone's still just hanging awake. out and awake. Yeah. And like not conscious. It's very strange. Yeah. At the time, the word among the group was that Heather was sleeping with the husband of another woman in the group. Still, it looked to Jill like the woman was moving in on her brother-in-law. Yeah, I'd say. Heather was always obsessed with Brad, and it was obvious, Jill said. For some reason, though, I did not think Brad would ever do something like that. Brad even made fun of Heather to Jill, saying how pathetic it was that she was so obviously having an affair with this man in their circle of friends. Well, what Brad was saying and what he was doing were two separate things. Because it was around the fall of 2004 or so that an affair between Brad and Heather began. One of the first reported sexual liaisons. Is she single? So she was married. I'm not sure if she was still married at this time. She does get a divorce eventually. No kids? She has kids. What? Yeah. In fact, what I was just getting to was that one of their first sexual liaisons, or at least one that Brad eventually cops to, happened in the Cooper's master bedroom closet while their children were playing in the next room. Second daughter, Katie, was born in 2006, but the relationship did not bounce back the same way it had after Bella's birth. Perhaps due to Brad's infidelities. Probably, you think? Nancy had been so supportive of Brad in every way. He had done an Ironman, and she sat on the beach forever while he was training. He also wanted to achieve his MBA so he could move up the ladder at Cisco, and she completely supported him throughout that, even though that obviously meant that he was working even longer hours. He was away from the home more. Yeah, so how did he find time to have an affair as well? Well, he took advantage of Nancy's excellent mothering to yep. go gallivanting with other students. Apparently, the MBA class took a trip to France. 
we're not in undergrad. <laughs> You're not going to try a croissant for the first time. Like, what is this? What is this? No. Uh, yeah, that, well, that was what he was doing. In fact, right up to the point that the woman that he seduced was a Parisian student. Later on, a search of his computer would show that the two traded flirtatious emails back and forth, referenced their memorable weekend together. And Brad even offered to try to hook the student up with a Cisco internship in the U.S. or U.K., which, I mean, really, Cisco? Is that exciting? Is that really a draw? I can get you a Cisco internship? I mean, the only thing exciting that was going on around Cisco at this time was... was the thong song. Thong, 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 thong. She had bumps like a trunk, trunk, trunk. <laughs> that was like, what, what, what? That's the most exciting thing. Definitely. I knew you were going to get that one. Yeah. Do you remember the song that was like, I feel a little poke coming through on you. Girl, I know you felt it. Oh, you know I can't help it. You know what I want to do. Oh, God. I don't know why they don't make beautiful songs about boners anymore. So a neighbor also recalled Brad bragging about banging his boss's wife. (gasps) He did this at a boys' night, and the rest of the guys in the group were feeling pretty uncomfortable about it because they all really liked Nancy. Brad would later say that he was just referencing something that had happened way before he was married with a different boss. Another man in the friend group said that he stopped speaking to Brad after Brad hit on his wife. Always those quiet ones you got to worry about, huh? So all of this is not good. Meanwhile, Nancy's at home with the kids while Brad goes to work, he goes to school, he travels, he trains for an Ironman. One of their friends even said that in training for an Ironman, Brad sometimes rode his stationary bike for up to seven hours at a time. So who's taking care of the toddler and the baby? Obviously, just Nancy. Their friends and neighbors said that they considered Nancy basically a single mother. Yeah, I'd say. Brad's gripes about the marriage were lack of sex since Katie's birth, which I do follow this marriage and family therapist. Her name's Dr. Psych Mom. And she's like, hey, guys, you want more sex? Help around the house. Your wife is not going to feel sexy when she is the only one taking care of the kids, doing the laundry, yeah. taking, doing Nor all the dishes. Nor is she going to have time or energy. Yeah, she's not going to yeah. have any energy yep. to want to bone you. Yep. If you help around the house, chances are she'll get turned on again. Yep. He also complained about Nancy's spending. This is another area where there is a he said, she said. Well, it's true that the Coopers did have some money problems, Nancy's family claims that it had nothing to do with her spending. In fact, the Renz family gave them a lot of money to Uh. get out of debt so that Nancy could buy things for her children. They said if there was any problems, it was with Brad spending or just the simple fact that it was a family that was living beyond their means on one income. Yeah. Also, like he... He's an MBA. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing other stuff. He's running around. Going to France. Yes, exactly. I I don't think it was her spending when he's running around to France. But her going to the grocery store and getting like basic necessities. Exactly. Brad said that Nancy was an out of control spender. So he was forced to cut off her access to the family's banking account. Uh, excuse me? Oh, it gets worse. And rescind her credit cards. Instead, he put her on a tight $300 a week budget to meet the needs of a family of four's daily expenses. That's how much it costs every time I go to Target. I know. 
I spend a lot at the grocery store. I spend much more than $300 a week. That's disgusting. And that's just... Also, you have two daughters who need fucking food. That's just the groceries. I mean, this was for gas, for the car. I mean, they're only in preschool, the oldest, but like... They'll need clothes. They need clothes. Stuff for school. Yeah, I need an extraordinary amount of things for Alden school because they're mostly outside. So I have to get like rain boots and rain pants and she needs extra layers and she needs all this additional stuff. It's disgusting that you would do that to your kids. So Nancy and her family saw it for what it was which was control and yeah. financial abuse. Yep. Nancy had to ask for gas money, grocery money, to pay a plumber or a terminator or any service provider that came to the house. She had to beg for cash to buy clothes for herself or the kids. Oh, my God. When she wanted a small TV to put in the kitchen, Brad told her to get a job. So she babysat some neighborhood kids <gasps> under the table to earn enough to buy herself the small TV. This is not how you treat a partner. This no. Is, this is how you treat a 12-year-old who wants a bike. Yes. Despite all of this, Nancy was committed to keeping the marriage together. She probably also felt like she had little other choice, having been out of work for several years and having no money of her own. Yep. Her family said that she suspected that Brad had cheated on her in France, but had no way to prove it. And she unfortunately did not know that the threat to her marriage was much closer to home her so-called best friend, Heather Mitor. In late 2007, Heather took Nancy out for dinner and after several drinks, dropped a bombshell. She told Nancy that she had slept with Brad. At the time, Heather was involved in a lawsuit after allegedly sleeping with another married man in their friend group, a guy named John Pearson, and breaking up his marriage. This girl is messy. Messy. Through the process of the lawsuit, Heather's other extramarital affairs were going to come to light, and she wanted Nancy to hear it straight from her first before she was going to hear it from anyone else. No, why? Because you want me to forgive you? Like, I don't know. I think at least she did that. I think that the more cowardly thing to do would be to just block her, and when she found out, just ignore her. The cowardly thing to do is sleep with your friend's husband. Well, that's the number one cowardly thing to do. That's the craven thing to do. The next day, so Nancy was pretty drunk. They were both pretty drunk. And she, next day she sobered up and she was like, what the fuck was that? Did I hear right? Did that really happen? So she called Heather and she said, you said you slept with my husband last night. Is that true? And she said it was. So Nancy confronted Brad and Brad claimed that it was a complete fabrication. Yeah, right. And that Heather was only making it up because they didn't like each other. Recently, Brad had told her that her sisters were right, Heather was a trash person, she shouldn't be hanging out with her, that he didn't want Heather's influence around Nancy, and that she should stop hanging out with her anyway. Okay. So he's like, what she's telling you is in retaliation for me saying that you shouldn't hang out with her and the fact that I don't like her. He's a fucking liar. He is a liar. And he also played the kind of power dynamic gaslighty thing where he's like you're really gonna trust this person yeah. who you know is a liar and an adulterer yep over me your husband and nancy believed him she did she totally believed him she thought heather was a liar at christmas 2007 he went so far as to tell the rents family that he was thinking of suing heather for libel because they had clearly found out about the allegation yep and they encouraged him to go forward with it. They're like, certainly the fact that she's saying all of this and putting it in this lawsuit potentially or it's going to come out, you should sue her. 
So it came as a shock to everyone when only about a week or so later around New Year's when Brad finally admitted that he had indeed slept with Heather. But he only copped to one drunken night. He said it was a total mistake. And I guess that Heather had only alluded to sleeping with him once as well. So Nancy was beside herself with this betrayal. Yeah, because you also then lied to me. He lied to her, but it also it's not just a random one night stand with some faceless woman. It's a woman she thought of as one of her best friends, yeah. if not her best friend, yeah. in her house. Yeah. The betrayal and I don't know, there's something very viscerally wrong when you think of your spouse cheating with you in your own bed, in your own house. Yeah, it's disgusting. It is. It's terrible. Now, Brad was entirely apologetic. He offered to go to counseling. He offered to do anything that he could to get the marriage back on track. Nancy's family did believe that this was an isolated incident. Now, they were 100% behind Nancy and said, if you want to leave Brad, of course you can. We will support you no matter what. But if it truly was a one drunken night situation and he's really, really, really sorry. Yeah, but she's also saying that she feels like he slept with someone in France. Like, it doesn't seem like it's an isolated situation. It doesn't. And this is where the trust your gut comes into. Yeah. Because I think that there was probably a lot of times where Nancy overrode her gut a little bit. Yeah. We talk about how she maybe didn't know whether she should marry Brad to begin with. And then she did leave him briefly. Yep. And then she went back. And I think that her family was doing their best to support her no matter what. But they knew somewhere deep down that she also did still want her kids to have a mom and dad yeah. who were together. Yeah. I think this is a very thorny situation for a family member. Very thorny. Yes. And Brad was never, and now this is the pernicious thing about coercive control and financial control and emotional abuse, is that especially in the early 2000s, especially at any time period other than honestly right now, it was often not recognized as abuse. No, yeah. What they saw is a guy who was, very much not physical, not confrontational. Yeah. No one ever saw him yell or be demeaning towards Nancy for the most part. So he was just a quiet, nice, reserved husband. Yeah. I mean, everyone really thought that if it came down to a fight, Nancy would win. Yeah. She was such a strong force and personality. But they're not thinking about emotional. They're not. Fighting. No one at this time period is thinking like that. Yeah. So... I don't think her family was as concerned at that point. Of course. And also, I, they I, seem like actual, real, authentic, genuine people who would never actually do this to someone who they love. Yes. Yeah, so it's so out of bounds yes, for them. Of course. It is. And I think the type of people that can be extremely forgiving, that can say sometimes people screw up, that's yeah. human nature. Yeah. And I do think that there is a place for that. There is a place for people sometimes making a mistake. Yeah, when they're not also emotionally and like financially torturing their partner. Yes, and I also, I don't know because of the way the book is written, how much they knew at what time. Yeah. So it's not clear to me when exactly they discovered how he was holding the purse strings. Yeah. Or when. So a lot of this is hindsight is 2020. So they said, give it a shot. Go to counseling figure out if you can make this work. And she felt very uncomfortable in their home. I guess, first of all, she had never really loved the layout of their home in North Carolina, but now she had to grapple with the fact that he had had sex with this woman she thought was her friend there. 
And he said, fine, this is a great opportunity for us to move. And I am going to buy us a beautiful plot of land in the next town over that's still a wonderful place to raise children. We'll get out of Dodge. And then we will get a builder to build your perfect dream house, the house you've always dreamed about. This is what I'm going to do. I'm willing to go to the therapist. I'm willing to buy you your dream house. I'm going to do anything to make this work. So Nancy was enthusiastic about this idea. And then the couple spent the next several weeks finding the perfect lot and working with a builder to see their vision come to life. Yep. However, the dream house was never built. During therapy one day in the spring of 2008, Brad confessed that the affair with Heather hadn't been just one night, but over the course of years and that he had been in love with her. Oh my God, how disgusting. Ugh, it just, I... Why? What's the point? It's like an ice dagger to Yeah, what is the point to that? You don't need to reveal that. No. If you really want to make it work, you don't need to, that's just rubbing it in. Yep. Also to say, you could say it went on a lot longer than I told you and I deeply regret it. Not I was in love, I was with, in her. love with her. Ugh, that's so painful. To make matters worse. Around the same time, Nancy ran into a woman from Brad's MBA program at the grocery store. And this woman said to her, if you're divorcing your husband, I'm glad to give you evidence. Uh, what? And that it was never revealed whether it was something she personally had experienced with Brad or it might have been about the French situation. Not good. The nail in the coffin was when Nancy heard through the grapevine that Brad was bragging about sleeping with a wife of a coworker, likely the same story I talked about earlier where he said he was banging his boss's wife. Nancy was done. She was completely over the yeah, situation at this so point. that's so gross. I mean, three strikes, you're out, brah. Yeah. She told Brad the marriage was over and it was his job to deal with the builder. On the day that they were supposed to be closing on the new home, Brad told the builder that the deal was off. Of course, the builder was incredulous because they had spent over 100 hours working on these plans. And so he said, why? This is the day of the closing. What's going on? And Brad told the builder that Nancy was terminally ill and dying. That is not something you lie about. Or you should not. That's disgusting. It is a huge red flag. Brad later countered that Nancy had had pneumonia and that while she was being treated for pneumonia, they had found a spot on her lung, but it did turn out to be nothing. And he tried to say... I don't know where the builder fell in all this because I didn't get his side of it. But he tried to say that she told the builder that she was terminally ill and that he had gone along with it. Or at the time that they were ending this deal, they had just found the spot and she didn't know that it wasn't terminal at this point. Stop. Stop. Yeah, it was very convoluted. Nancy began making plans to move with Bella and Katie back to Canada. Good. There were several conversations in which Brad allegedly suggested some very bizarre custody arrangements, including the old parent trap. You take one kid and I take the other and never the twain shall meet. How about no? (laughs) How about that is fucking very traumatic for a child to be separated from their mother and sibling? Yes, from their parent and sibling forever. Jeez Louise. This isn't a fucking movie, Brad. Yeah. And there was another suggestion that 
he would take them both for the summer and then never see them again. It would be their one final summer together. And then at some point, he even suggested that maybe Nancy could be their nanny and just go to an apartment at night. <laughs> I just, I don't even have the words for that one. I just don't. Wow. <laughs> yeah, just, the wow is the only word. It's the only one. It was finally decided that Nancy would move to Canada and Brad would have some type of visitation. She ultimately decided to move to Toronto to be near her twin sister, Krista, and her husband, Jim. And the sisters began to look into housing options. And their plan was that either Nancy was going to purchase a small house near Krista and Jim, hopefully with some profits from the sale of the North Carolina house, and her parents were willing to help her with a down payment. Or, this one sounds fun, Krista and Jim would purchase a really big house and they could all live together. Yeah. Which is like, if I was, if anything ever happened to Nathaniel, I'd be like, guess what? We're moving in. Here comes the moving yeah, band. Yeah, I think if anything ever happened to anyone in either of our families, we would all just... <laughs> we just, yeah, we just all move in together. So yeah, so they're making plans. They're making very, very serious plans. Yep. They had a moving truck booked. Krista flew to Carrie to help Nancy get the house packed up and ready for the sale. But when she got there, Krista was a little taken aback because things did not seem settled. How so? It did not seem like this marriage was over and that everyone was ready to let it go. In fact, things were weirder than ever between Brad and Nancy. At that point, he was giving her so little money that she said he was following them around wherever they went. Rather than giving Nancy money, he would do something like, she'd be like, well, I have to get gas and then go get groceries. And he'd be like, okay, I'll follow you. And he'd follow her to the gas station. And when they both pulled up, he would then fill her gas tank and pay for it. And then he would follow her to the grocery store. And then after she filled her cart with groceries, he would pay for it. So he was so controlling. He wanted to know where she was going and what she was doing. She had no way to pay for these things, I guess, without him doing it. Now, I don't know all of the ins and outs if she had some sort of debit card that he put $300 on every week or if he just gave her cash. I am not exactly sure. But this was as reported by her friends and her sister whom Nancy told. So crazy. This was really, really, really hard for Krista to see. And she was also very concerned about how this was affecting the children because Nancy was anxious. She was angry. She was snapping. She was backed into a corner. And Krista said, look, this is a terrible situation, but you have to try to let go of your anger. Keep your eye on the prize. Let's get you out of here. Let's get you out of here. Let's smooth the transition. Try to get along with Brad as long as you can just to get out here because Right now, everybody's feathers are very ruffled. Yeah. And we got to all take it down a notch. Yeah. So she said that during that visit, Brad and Nancy came to a truce. They had a conversation together, basically in front of Krista, saying, we're going to resolve this for the kids in a healthy way. It's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. But by the time Krista actually got home from North Carolina and back to Canada, she got a phone call from Nancy, and Nancy was hysterical. Nancy had hidden the kids' passports, I think, like, in her glove box or somewhere in her car. Okay. And she'd kept her car locked for the most part. 
And Brad had asked her if he could get something out of her car. And she's like, yeah, here's my keys. And he had searched her car, found the passports, and stolen them. So she was supposed to be on her way to Canada. And now he was holding the kids' passports and said, you can't leave. Seemed that Brad had discovered that Nancy had hired a divorce attorney and was going to be, of course, seeking alimony and child support. He didn't want to pay anything. Nope. Not Assent to his wife, who had supported him for the last seven and a half years. Nancy's family believed that he was using Nancy's desperation to get their kids out of an increasingly hostile situation to yep. try to get her to not ask for support. To be like, well, how desperate are you? If you want to leave, you got to take nothing in this. Nancy told Krista that Brad said, I'm not paying you. Why would I pay you? Get your family to pay you. Your family is going to take care of you. Nancy began working with her attorney to try to come to a separation agreement, and her parents paid for this divorce attorney yeah. that would basically compel Brad if they won a motion. Sorry, guys, I'm clearly not a lawyer. But yes, if they won something, they would be able to compel him somehow to return the passports yeah. and work out some agreement yeah. that it would at least let the kids go to Can Canada. Can he really like hold their passports? I mean, you could say the same thing about her, though, that she can't just take the kids to Canada. He's okay. an equal parent. He also cheated on her, though. But that, that doesn't matter in a court of law. I mean, there's so many different situations. You could have a woman who's in an abusive marriage who is looking for a way out and cheats on her husband as an escape route. And then the husband takes the kid's passports because she can't leave. And he's abusive. And he'd say, well, she cheated on me. So it doesn't matter. Okay. So they're working out how they can get the passports and leave to go yeah. to Canada. But she was starting to grow suspicious that Brad was listening in on her phone calls and reading her emails. Psycho. Yeah, because we have to remember that his expertise is in phones and the internet. He set up their phone system. And Nancy reported that she recalled hearing some clicks on the line when she answered or made a phone call from their house phone. You remember when you used to be able to hear the click? Mm-hmm. Like, get off the fucking phone! <laughs> She did have reason to be concerned about the emails as well. A forensic search of Brad's computer later would reveal that he had installed a software program in Nancy's computer, so it sent a copy of all of her emails to him. So crazy. Yeah, it was one of those situations where it immediately like made a dupe and sent it yeah. to him, so it didn't even look like it was opened or forwarded yeah. or anything. So insecure. So creepy that yeah. those programs exist. Nancy was stressed and nervous. Her sister Jill said that she was a shell of herself. So the family really banded around her at this point. Yeah. They arranged for a long vacation in Hilton Head, South Carolina, and then also in Charlotte, North Carolina. Cool. So the whole family kind of came to her. They provided her with money for the trip. They said that. So Brad also said, oh, I totally gave her money for the trip. They said she had like pennies in her pockets Stop. when she came to the vacation, that they had to take care of everything for her. And this was a really, really good time. For her, it was just so relieving just to be around this wonderful support system. Yeah. And I guess the family always had a really good time when they were together. And so this was this very bright spot during a dark time. But of course, it had to come to an end. And that's where it got extremely emotional. Nancy apparently clung to her mother, Donna, and cried while they were at the airport. Oh, my God. She told her mother how desperately she wanted to come home, how she wanted to go on the plane with her. And as a mother of any age, that just kills you because your baby is your baby. Yeah. Whether they're 
3, 10, 30, 40, 50. I mean, my grandmother's 100. My dad is 75. Yeah. And my grandmother still calls my dad her baby. And he's a 75-year-old man. Yeah. So this is just devastating. And it was made even more heartbreaking in hindsight because it was the very last time that Donna and Gary would see their daughter alive. Of course, yeah. Nancy was furious when she arrived home because in the week, full week, that she and the girls had been away, Brad had not lifted a finger to do a single thing around the house. The girls' breakfast dishes from the day they left for the vacation were rotting and molding in the sink. And of course, he had contributed his own dishes on top of that. The food had attracted bugs, and Nancy was forced to call an exterminator because there was infestation. It abruptly took away the glow of the wonderful vacation wow. she had had with her family. Wow. That's just beyond the pale. You're so one grown-ass man. You can't even take care of yourself. Uh-huh. Like, if I, you know, I come to L.A. by myself, when I come home, first of all, Nathaniel always makes the house beautiful because he's a fucking saint. But, like, I would understand with two kids yep. and now a dog, if the place was a tornado, yep. I would get it and I'd be like, oh, thank you for just being surviving. there for them and surviving. But the fact that he was alone know, that disgusting. entire week and he couldn't even put his daughter's dishes in the dishwasher... It's disgusting. Disgusting. So Nancy's friends at this point knew the whole saga, and they were super duper sad to lose her. They really didn't want her, of course, to be away from them. They loved her. Yeah. She was really a center of this yeah. community. But they also knew that being in Canada with her parents and her family and mostly like right near her sister yeah. was the most important thing. And so they supported that. So they did their best at this point to do everything they could to help her move. Her friend Jessica Adam knew that she was an incredible painter and like interior decorator and says, we'll pay you to help us paint our interiors. That would put a little extra money in her pocket. Yeah. And they also would throw a bunch of social engagements that were kind of like a series of goodbye to Nancy parties, which were to raise her spirits because she leaned pretty heavily on these close friends at this point. Yeah to keep her afloat while she was in this absolutely miserable situation, which by the way, is such a healthy thing to do. Like I was talking about in my imaginary scenario, so many women look to another romantic relationship yeah. to get them through a terrible divorce, which I am not even shading because sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do when you're leaving a terrible marriage, an abusive marriage, but that she just turned to her friends, yeah. that she looked to her community for help and they provided it was something that was very special. One such event was a neighborhood party hosted by Diana and Craig Duncan, who lived across the street from the Coopers. The party was held on Friday, July 11th, 2008. While Nancy was her usual fun-loving social butterfly self, Brad mostly kept to himself. He did for once watch the girls so that Nancy could actually enjoy herself. I was going to say, why did he go? I think she kind of said, you're going to go and I've been with the kids for a very long time. You're going to come to this party and you're going to make sure that they're okay. And I'm going to have some wine. And I'm going to have a good, good time for once. And he was watching the kids, but even Diana had to say he seemed a little awkward with them when Katie was having a meltdown because she was only two. Yeah. Nancy had to step in and say, hey, she's not totally verbal. She can't 
tell you what she wants. She's having a meltdown because she's upset about something. You have to read the signs yeah. about what she wants. You have to learn her language. And so Nancy was still stepping in. And eventually he just said, I'm just taking them home. So it was around 8 p.m. that he decided to take the girls home and put them to bed. And everyone was very relieved that Nancy got to stay and hang out. And she actually got to stay until midnight. Good. So she stayed till midnight. Before Brad left, Diana said Nancy had mentioned that she would be painting the interior of the Adams house the next morning and that they were going to pay her. Brad said that she obviously didn't need her weekly allowance then. Several guests recall Nancy talking about how unhappy she was and how draining the divorce was. There was one woman who was at the party who was a perfect stranger who just knew the people who were hosting and hadn't met Nancy before. Yep. And she said that Nancy was so incredibly warm and just completely inviting and that the two women had ended up having this very deep conversation. And she was like, I just met this woman and I was terrified for her. I was so worried about her situation with her husband and I already was on her side after meeting her for one night. But that was also a testament to who Nancy was. She was just so open and so unafraid to be honest with people. She was somebody that even though everyone thought she was perfect, did not put on a facade about what was really going on. She wore her heart on her sleeve. And for the most part, while people thought that Brad was a jerk, they did not think he was violent. No one really thought that he was violent. Everyone thought he's an asshole and she needs to get out of this situation. But no one truly believed that he would hurt her. So when she left that night, at midnight, everyone pretty much slept easily, thinking, yeah, it sucks that she's leaving, but she's going to go on to better things. Little did they know that they would be waking up to a nightmare. The next day, Jessica and Brett Adam woke up early to rearrange the furniture so Nancy could come paint at 8 a.m., but 8 a.m. came and went with no word from Nancy. Oh, God. When she hadn't arrived by 9.25, Jessica called her cell phone and then her home phone, which Brad answered. Brad told Jessica that Nancy had gone for a run with her friend Carrie at 7 in the morning and that he was sure she was going to be back soon. Well, Jessica found this odd because the three women and Carrie was a relatively new friend, but Jessica, Nancy, and Carrie were all planning on running this road race together. They often did training runs together. So it seemed weird that they would go without her, number one. And then number two, Nancy was not an inconsiderate person. So it seemed bizarre that she would plan to go on a long run at 7 a.m. when she had to be somewhere at 8 a.m. Yeah. It just was completely not like her, especially not to even just call and say, I forgot I had this run. I'm going to be a little late now. Yeah. So Carrie would also testify later that the two women did not meet and they did had zero plans to run. In fact, they had set up he a... He just fabricated that whole thing. Yeah. Well, he was using, I think, another plan that she had because she was going to go running with Carrie, I think, on Sunday. Okay. But she was not supposed to be running with her that morning. Brad would try to say later that he didn't know why Nancy did not tell Jessica that they were going running and he's like I would only speculate that it's because Jessica is not as fast as Carrie and Nancy so they didn't want to tell her so she wouldn't slow them down it's like wow way to be insulting even with your lies such a dick <laughs> you can't just say I don't know she just said she's going running I don't know I don't I didn't interrogate her you could have just said that not because yeah. Jessica's a slow bitch and they didn't want to run with her you jerk so Jessica continued to try to call Nancy's cell phone and 
She also informed a lot of friends and neighbors what was going on. Some other people were supposed to hear from Nancy that day as well. So a lot of people were getting very concerned about this at this point. And I think another one of Nancy's friends or maybe a couple of Nancy's friends ended up going over to Jessica's to talk about what they should do. Okay. And at 1.50 p.m., that was when the decision was made to call 911. Great. Wow. So it's fast. It's pretty fast. And she said that at that point she was in a total panic, which is another like trust your gut moment is that her friends knew something was extremely wrong yep. right away. Yep. The police took it seriously because what they were worried about is that rumor that we've all heard where you can't report somebody missing for 24 hours unless they're a child. And that's not necessarily true. The police told Jessica, in fact, that she was actually being a really good friend. Yeah. The dispatcher said, I hoped if I was missing, I would have a friend like you. We're not going to do anything really official more than just send a car out and we're going to have a couple officers talk to her husband. Yep. Okay, good. And Jessica's like, great. That's a great start. I'm just glad that you can do something now or start doing something at this point. When it became clear that Nancy did not have her phone, her car, her wallet, including her driver's license, the authorities became concerned. Yeah. This is clearly not a person who just left on their own volition. Search parties were organized and the Renz family flew to North Carolina from Canada. Friends, family, and the authorities all noticed that Brad was standoffish, non-emotional, uncooperative with the police, and also seemed to shrug off the support offered by Nancy's friends and family. When Brad failed to be present at the first press conference, eliciting help from the public and locating Nancy, reporters couldn't help but take notice. It's like the real gone girl. Yes, it is. They also pointed out that Nancy's husband had not been the one to report her missing. Her friends had. And it was also true that Nancy's concerned friends had called Nancy's sister and parents not their son and brother-in-law of nearly eight years. Yeah. Brad claimed that he had taken the girls home and to bed the night before around 8 p.m. And they had probably fallen asleep around 9 p.m. and that he had gone to bed right after. He said the next morning he realized they were out of milk and he went and picked some up from the store. I think he said it was like around 6.15. When he returned, he said that Nancy asked him to go back to the store for some laundry detergent. At 6.30 in the morning, he headed back to the store, and then Nancy called him from the house phone at 6.40 to ask him to also get some naked green juice, apparently a favorite of four-year-old Bella's. Brad said that he returned around 7 in the morning, and Nancy then left to go running with a friend named Carrie, the same Carrie we now know had no plans to go running with Nancy. When Nancy failed to return by 9.15 in the morning, Brad was forced to postpone and then cancel plans he had to play tennis with a friend. He said he wasn't necessarily worried at this point because Nancy did often like to go to coffee with friends that she went running with after she went running. Okay. He was equally not concerned that Nancy did not have her phone or a key on her. He said that she jogged without them, a claim that her running buddies refuted. Finally, around noon, he began to get worried, so he began to call Nancy's friends to ask for Carrie's number. And okay. again, Carrie was a relatively new friend, so none of her base friends had Carrie's number. Yeah. So he's calling around for a little bit. Then he said at around 1 p.m., he was getting super worried, so he ended up feeding the girls lunch and then piling them in the car so that he could drive around and look for Nancy. At 3 p.m., the police called him and asked him to return home so that they could ask him some questions. 
Uh-oh. Brad said that he didn't call the police because he had found out at some point that they had already been called. So what was the point? And he didn't notify Nancy's family that she was missing himself because he was so busy assisting the police. Wow. You could have said that you knew you, he, you were going to find her. You could have said that you were too caught up emotionally. Mm-hmm. Wow. Nancy's friends and family began searching in earnest, printing and distributing missing posters, organizing search parties, and appearing in a press conference with local authorities. Unfortunately, their hopes were dashed when Nancy's body was discovered on what? Monday, July 14th. No. Two days after she had been reported missing. She was discovered by a man out walking his dog at 7.30 p.m. Jesse, you know what that sound is? That's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Andy, Shopify has to be one of the companies that I know you love most. It is absolutely true. I have spent the last 10 years running small businesses, and Shopify has been such an important part of the journey. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big businesses, so upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. I've always been super impressed by how much Shopify simplifies some of the biggest challenges for small business owners and gives business owners from down the street to around the globe the tools they need to succeed. We're actually (laughs) switching our merch store to Shopify right now. I cannot wait to get that up and running. Other favorite things about Shopify include you're able to design your own website from scratch. They allow really reduced shipping rates for UPS so that you can get big company discounts for shipping. They allow you to track inventory. The pictures are great when they are posted online. Everything is awesome. You can use their multiple apps to shop your Instagram. The possibilities with Shopify are absolutely endless. With Shopify, you can reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. You can synchronize your online and in-person sales and gain insights as you grow with detailed reporting of conversion rates, profit margins, and beyond. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. And for our listeners, we're thrilled to share that you can go to shopify.com slash lovemurder for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash lovemurder. That's shopify.com slash lovemurder. Nancy's body was found in a storm pond at the back of an undeveloped subdivision in Wake County, which was at the edge of Cary. She was clothed in only a sports bra that was pulled up above her breasts. But despite her state of undress, there were no signs of rape, sexual assault, or even a very difficult physical struggle. An autopsy report would later determine that Nancy died of strangulation. They found both Patechial hemorrhages in Nancy's eyes. We've talked about that, the little blood vessels. And that her hyoid bone was broken. It was fractured. There was also a faint linear mark in the area around the hyoid bone. It was conclusive. Nancy had been asphyxiated and it had most certainly been homicide. And it most certainly had been her husband. Seems like it. 
By the time that Nancy's body was discovered, Brad had already pulled away from the Rents family so much that the two parties were barely speaking, just enough to try to communicate about seeing the children at that point. Yep. And this was an ongoing process. I'm summing up a little bit. There was two different separate custody issues. The first was this one where they were trying to get some sort of very temporary custody. And then there was like a larger battle. So I'm kind of putting them together here. So we're going to talk about it all in one. Luckily for Belle and Katie, who were, of course, extremely traumatized and confused. They're very young. They're two and four. The Renses were able to file for and gain temporary custody of the girls. Thank God. Yes. And Nancy's divorce attorney, Alice Stubbs, was instrumental in this because she actually already had an affidavit from Nancy. She had all of this evidence about what a terrible person he was and why he shouldn't get custody anyway. Yeah. So she was like, let's file all this paperwork that we were going to file anyway, but on your benefit to your family. In a curious move, it turned out that before the Renses took custody of the girls, they and Brad had moved in with Heather Meetor's ex-husband. Huh? I guess that Heather had been divorced for a little while at that point and that Brad was friends with her ex-husband. So much so that obviously they had to move out to not only avoid the media fray, but they were doing searches of the home as well. And he moved in with his lover's ex-husband. Yeah, it's so fucking weird. It's really, really weird. During the custody battle, Brad was deposed and claimed that the breakdown of the marriage had occurred due to Nancy's out-of-control spending, alleged out-of-control spending, the absence of sex in the relationship for over two years, as well as his one-time drunken indiscretion. Nancy's friends and family also were deposed and testified that Nancy had been like a single mother, that Brad was deeply controlling, that he had been unfaithful more than once, and that at the end of the day, they believed that he was the one who killed her. Yeah. So like I said, Nancy's divorce attorney was able to submit documents that they had already prepared, and ultimately Brad himself decided not to pursue the custody suit which attorneys kind of were banking on in the area because obviously I think we've discussed this before in a different case, but if you take something to family court, it can open up a door for you to get questioned about the murder and you could accidentally incriminate yourself. The Renses were able to take the girls home to Canada and out of the media spotlight, Krista and her husband Jim took Bella and Katie back home with them, which was really for the best because Bella, the four-year-old, was especially having, I mean, it just makes me sick. My daughter's about to turn four. Yeah. She was having an extraordinarily hard time with this and with her mother's death. And she was especially bonded to Krista. Yeah. Which I think must have been comforting that Krista looked and sounded so much like her mother. Probably like smelled like her too. I'm sure there's so much. Meanwhile, the detectives had formed a theory about what had happened to Nancy. They believed that Nancy had never gone running at all. Yeah. They said that Nancy and Brad had likely fought when she returned to the house sometime after midnight. Yep. And then that Brad had strangled Nancy to death and then set to creating his alibi by making the grocery store runs because he would be caught on the camera there that would set up his alibi saying, she was alive. She even called me. I don't know what you're talking about. And they believe actually that he had 
potentially put her body in the car trunk overnight and then maybe dumped it at some point between the grocery store yeah. runs because yeah. on one camera he's wearing sneakers on the first run and on the second he switched to flip-flops gross there was allegedly some scratches found on his body that was a point of contention with the defense and prosecution ultimately because the police said that they noticed it but they didn't photograph it okay and then by the time they photographed him there weren't any scratches okay but he was wearing now this is the height of summer even if it's like six, seven in the morning, he was wearing full-on long sleeves, long pants, which would, of course, hide scratches yep. on the camera. So they think maybe between these two grocery store runs is when he dumped the body. And as for the 6.40 a.m. call that came allegedly from the house, they believe that Brad had used his expertise to root a call from himself to make it look like it was coming from his yeah. home phone to his cell phone. He had borrowed a router that could do just that sometime before the murder. And although this router was not found at the Cooper household, there was apparently like a spot in the dust, like in the office. Unreal. That would be the exact same size as this router. And the router- he doesn't know how to clean, so that's <laughs> shooting himself in the foot. Exactly. And the router was never found at Cisco either. Okay. So it seemed like clear that he had destroyed it's missing, it. yeah. Yes. Furthermore, the Cooper's garage was notoriously so packed full of stuff, like my garages, that you actually never saw a car in it. It was just kind of a storage place. Yeah. And this was also true of Brad's trunk. His friends and people who hung out with him said that he had his golf clubs back there. He had his tennis racket. He had a bunch of stuff. It's just his trunk was overflowing. And yet, when the police came to do a search, both his trunk and the garage were meticulously, spotlessly clean. No. This is the same guy who couldn't lift a finger for over a week and let food rot yep. in the sink. Yep. He also did laundry for the first time, Andy. Oh, that's he, convenient. Conveniently, speaking of convenience, he forgot what dress Nancy had been wearing the night before. So the police came to the house and they said, we're going to need her clothes from the night before. Because if she went running, we're going to need to see the dress she wore to last night's party. Do you remember what dress it was? And he goes, oh, I think it was this black one. He's like, yeah, it was a black dress. So they're like looking for a black dress. Then after the police talked to some friends of Nancy's, he goes, oh, you know what? I think it's this teal dress that has a black accent instead. And oopsies, I washed it already. Now, this was a dry clean only dress. And when they said, why did you launder a dry clean only dress? He said, well, it was in the hamper. I just threw everything that was in the hamper. He's and doing all the chores. He's just doing all of the chores now. Wow. And Nancy's friends and sister said that this was one of her favorite dresses that she was Pretty good about what was dry clean only and what wasn't. Yeah, people are either good at that or they're not. I'm not. You just put it in your hamper. So they said she was. I don't even really know what type. I don't I don't think I own anything that's dry clean only anymore. Well, you you probably are in my camp then. <laughs> yeah, I think it's not dry clean only anymore if it was once. <laughs> so yeah, they said it was unlikely. And it was also very random that he was doing laundry. This was yeah. not something that he typically did. Yeah. So they're pretty sure, obviously, that this is Brad. Yeah. But, of course, it's imperative for them to follow absolutely every avenue. Yeah. And that's just to do good police work, number one, but also because someday there's going to be a defense attorney that says, you didn't look at this, you didn't look at this, you didn't yep. even try to find any leads. You had my boy in your sights, and that's what you did. 
So they started canvassing the neighborhood, following down every lead they possibly could. And there were a couple things. There, this is, this is a predominantly white neighborhood and suburb. And a couple people noted that they saw a strange van with two Hispanic men driving it. Oh. So that was, that stuck out in this neighborhood. Oh my God. And there was like a couple people that said that they saw this van with these two guys driving it. One person went as far to claim that they saw the men in this van turn around and follow a female jogger. But they said they could not be sure if that jogger was actually Nancy. Okay. Then there was another woman who would later testify who claimed that she was positively sure she saw Nancy and that Nancy was running while listening to an iPod, but she didn't know Nancy in real life. She only recognized her later when she saw her picture on the news. Yep. Okay. And she even posited that she believed that Nancy was listening to her iPod and she wasn't paying attention. She probably got hit by a car when clearly that's not what happened. And all of Nancy's friends said that she never ran with an iPod. That yeah. was not her style. She was somebody that was very aware of her surroundings. And she also just didn't need that. Yeah. So it seems unlikely that this was true. I think it's the work of somebody who either really wants to be involved in this case or has an overactive imagination and is connecting the dots what they see on the news. Yeah. Furthermore, the autopsy proof that there was no sexual assault. There was no trauma to her genitals or anything that would suggest a rape. Yeah. There was actually very little real evidence of any sort of struggle or a fight on her body other than obviously the strangulation. Yeah. Which I, I could see as happening if you're surprised and you've had a few drinks at a party. You've been at a neighborhood party since five o'clock that maybe you would be so stunned you wouldn't even be able to fight back. So it seems very unlikely. There was also a relatively large diamond stud earring still found in her ear. So if the perpetrator didn't rob her, didn't take the earring, yeah. they didn't rape her, then there's just some random strange strangler, strangler out there that strangles for no reason. Yeah. Which seems unlikely. Yeah. In order to build a case against Brad, they needed to canvas more people, including service providers to the Cooper house, basically anyone who knew them, yeah. and ex-girlfriends. The Cooper's exterminator, Gary Beard, said that he had indeed been called to the Cooper house after Nancy's family vacation due to an infestation. Brad had claimed that he had cleaned out the garage in late June. So when they said, why is your garage so shiny clean, when everyone tells us it's never been clean? He said, I did that to be a good husband when... Nancy was on vacation. I wanted her to come home to a nice clean garage. Apparently he forgot the kitchen. Well, the exterminator said that was not true because he was at the house on July 8th and the garage was still a mess. The door was open. He could see that no one could pull a car in. He probably wouldn't pull in anyways, but he said it was a mess. Amazing that he remembered that. Because he said that, the police knew that he had cleaned the garage sometime between July 8th when the exterminator saw it. Yep. And July 12th, when the police visited and it was sparkling clean, poor Gary the exterminator, too, because he got into it. Apparently, while he was there, he was under the impression that Heather and Nancy were friends. So he offhandedly mentioned, oh, by the way, your friend, Heather Mitor, she owes me for a job I did. Can you tell her to pay me? 
And she was like, yeah, we're not friends anymore. She fucked my husband. <laughs> this guy's like, oh, okay, never mind then. I'll just let the bill collectors handle that one. Womp, womp. Can you imagine this poor guy? No. Oh. I think that one will go to collections. Pass on that one. Or tell me more about Heather. <laughs> Maybe I got a shot. <laughs> more damning was an affidavit filed from Jennifer Windsor Ball, a woman who had been with Brad from September 1997 to December 1998. The couple had lived together and had been briefly engaged. In Brad's deposition, he had incorrectly named his ex as Jennifer Wilson instead of Windsor. Now, the detectives and Jennifer believed that this was a ruse, so they were unable to locate yep. her. Yeah. In her affidavit, she assured the police that she was absolutely certain that he remembered her name. Jennifer stated the following. This was in Love Lies. Throughout our relationship, Brad Cooper was emotionally abusive towards me. He constantly belittled me to other people. He frequently berated me about my weight and my physical appearance. He would make derogatory comments about me to others, even telling people I looked pregnant when I wasn't. I have never before and have never again been in a relationship with someone who treated me so poorly. He was emotionally detached and mentally cruel. At the end of our relationship, I became fearful for my physical safety. They had agreed that she would stay in the apartment they had shared and Brad would leave. Ball said that he took many of her personal belongings with him when he left. Brad then moved into another apartment in the same building. Ball said a neighbor told her that Brad had been secretly accessing her apartment when she was not home long after he had moved out. Creep. Brad's behavior was creepy and I was so disturbed by it that I broke my lease agreement and moved away so that I would not have to remain in the same building with him. Whoa. This was the woman that he said he had just had a terrible breakup with and who had broken his heart and had been terrible to him Yeah, when he met Nancy. Yeah. She was the very next woman that he met and then married. So we've got a pattern here, kids. Yes. Early on in the investigation, the police had also seized Brad's laptops. Now, this is both his work laptop and his personal laptop. And I think that the one we're predominantly talking about is his work laptop. But I'm kind of putting them together as far as the evidence here, just so you guys know. So it should be noted that when the police took custody of, I believe, his work laptop, it was powered on and it remained that way for 27 hours. And this will be relevant to the defense later on. On it, I'm going to say it for both laptops, the authorities had found a treasure trove of evidence. They found a whole pile of heated emails between the couple that showed how terrible this relationship had truly become yep. and how mistreated Nancy was, including an email where she told him how degrading it was to have to beg for him to give her an allowance or put gas in her car, which I agree. It is completely yeah. degrading. They also discovered flirtatious emails between Brad and Heather dating back to September 2004 and romantic messages exchanged between Brad and the French student he had courted while on his MBA trip. It was during this analysis that they realized that Brad had downloaded software to receive copies of Nancy's emails because they were all on his hard drive. Mm -hmm. They discovered that all of the privileged communications between Nancy and her divorce attorney 
as well as messages from her friends and family and innocent communications between her and her longtime ex-boyfriend from Edmonton were all on his hard drive. Psycho. The lawyer stuff fucking kills me. Like, I know it's all invasive, but those are very, very privileged communications for a reason. And that's why he knew everything she was doing. Yep. The laptop also blew up his alibi as he had claimed that he had gone to bed shortly after the girls did around 9 p.m. and hadn't woken up when Nancy came home. His computer clearly showed him browsing the internet from 9 p.m. until right around midnight, exactly when Nancy came home. The smoking gun, however, was that less than 24 hours before Nancy was reported missing on the afternoon of Friday, July 11th, the FBI found a Google map search zoomed in twice on the exact location of where Nancy's body was eventually found. Woo-wee. Unreal. This was enough to secure an arrest warrant, and Brad was subsequently arrested on October 27th, 2008. It would take two years for the case to go to trial, which it did on October 25th, 2010. Whoa. There's a lot of stuff in the the middle of all that. A lot of motions, a lot of stuff about custody. The prosecution argued that Nancy and Brad had been involved in an acrimonious divorce and that Brad had been full of rage and a desire not to have to pay alimony and child support when he strangled his wife to death after she returned home from a neighborhood party. Several of Nancy's dearest friends testified to the control Brad had asserted over Nancy, how desperate she was to get out of the marriage. They also testified to how hysterical Nancy had been when she realized that Brad had taken her daughter's passports and that she could not leave as she had planned. One friend testified that Nancy had told her she slept in a separate bedroom with her daughters behind a locked door, fully dressed and with her car keys on her at all times so she could always be ready to leave. Whoa. A geochemist testified that soil samples around the pond where Nancy's body was dumped contained a specific type of mineral known as mica. That mineral was found nowhere near the Cooper house or the Cisco offices, but yet was discovered on Brad's sneakers. This was pretty much as close as they have real physical evidence. Yeah. But of course, a good defense attorney could say, well, there's Micah in other places in Cary, North Carolina, so he could have gone walking one of those places. A coworker of Brad's testified to him borrowing the router that could have been used to fake the 6.40 a.m. call that had allegedly come from Nancy. Yep. There were also some other just kind of small bits of evidence here and there that made it into the trial. Brad had said that he hadn't seen Nancy exactly leave. He said she kind of just said bye and took off. And I don't know if I saw her leave or I don't know if I just heard her leave, but she took off to go running. Okay. But later when they asked him to describe what she had been wearing, he described the sports bra perfectly the multicolored, very specific sports bra that she was wearing when she was an avid runner and she had dozens and different colors and designs. Yeah. There was also the fact that her running shoes were found in the house. Oh, no. So if she had gone running, why weren't the running shoes with her? Yeah. Or disappeared somewhere. definitely not airtight, dude. No. And then also family testified that Bella did not actually like naked green juice in fact it was brad's favorite not hers oh my god and there was evidence that even after the children were moved to canada with the Renz family he bought it several times for himself 
But of course, the smoking gun was the Google map search done only hours before Brad attended that party with his wife, which showed premeditation. The defense was irate to begin with because the judge would not allow two supposedly expert witnesses to testify that the Google Maps evidence had been planted on Brad's laptop. They claimed that in the 27-hour period that Brad's computer was on and in police custody, it had been left vulnerable to hacking. Oh, God. They went so far to suggest that it could have even been the police or the FBI who had planted the evidence on Brad's laptop. The reason given for why the experts weren't allowed to testify was because they were both experts in certain elements of computer science, but they were not this level of technical forensic experts in criminal cases. One man readily admitted that his expertise did not lie in this field, and the other expert witness said that he'd only forensically examined a computer twice in his career. Okay. Fair or not, this threw a big old wrench in the defense's case as they had planned to lead with the fact that Brad had been completely railroaded and when the police couldn't find enough evidence to make a conviction happen, they created it. Yeah. They still went with that argument, further contending that the police had willingly ignored other suspects like the mysterious Hispanic men in the weird (laughs) van. Just racism. And that they had ignored witnesses like the woman who swore she saw Nancy jogging because those accounts didn't match up with their theory. Okay. So they didn't follow those leads down. The defense said that the police were insistent on charging Brad as the culprit so that the greater public would be relieved and still believe that it was a safe community. Yep. Other than there was just apparently Hispanic men just willy-nilly strangling women for no reason. Or the random strangler. That theory too. The random strangler, yes. They also did that lovely thing that defense attorneys occasionally do where they put the victim on trial. Oh, God. They're talking some smack here. They called on witnesses who claimed that Nancy dramatized and exaggerated the truth and made a habit out of, quote, airing the couple's dirty laundry. Oh, my God. The defense said that Brad wasn't the only cheater in the marriage and that Nancy had had her indiscretions as well. With who? Well, yes, there was, of course, the romance very early during a separation. Yes. But big twist, there was one other event. She had a probably only half-finished one-night stand. Half-finished? With a, yeah, we'll get into the details. With a neighbor named John Pearson eight and a half months before her second daughter was born. That was the big defense bombshell. In a real Wisteria Lane moment, John took the stand and it was revealed that he was the same philandering husband who had also had an affair with Heather Mitor, and it was his now ex-wife who had sued Heather for alienation of affection. I mean, honestly, these people should have just gotten together and had a big old neighborhood orgy. Seriously. Just banged it out, got it out of their system, gotten all of this repressed desire that ruined many marriages. There was several instances where they refer to a couple and they're like, and now they're now they're divorced. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure this situation didn't help. <laughs> Can you imagine also you're just a normal neighborhood philanderer and then you're just like all tied up in a murder trial? No, that's totally different. She's <laughs> Louise. <laughs> yeah, this is this is where John gets to. So John testified that while Brad was somewhere on business at some point, he had gone to a Halloween party. I think this was in 2005. And Nancy had also attended. 
So apparently everyone had gotten pretty drunk at this party, and he, Nancy, and another one of their female friends had walked home together. So the other friend ended up turning in and going home, and then when they arrived at the Cooper's doorstep, Nancy invited him in. There was some flirtation. He ended up going upstairs to take a shower because he had makeup on for Halloween. He had some sort of Halloween makeup on. He said that when he came back downstairs, there was a vibe. And he did recall that even though they were very, very intoxicated, they took off their clothes and something started happening. But they were too drunk to finish in his recollection. And he said at that point, they had sobered up a little bit more. And they were like, "Uh, what the fuck are we doing? (laughs) We should not be doing this. And that they made a deal to never talk about it again. Okay. So this was the big scandalous thing yeah. that Nancy had done. So he said that they had never had any flirtation since then. And the only communication they had really had privately since then was when John wanted to make sure that Katie wasn't his. And she wasn't. At least from what I understand. I don't know if there was a DNA test, but based on timing even, remember how people think it's like nine months, but it's really closer to 10 months when you're pregnant. And she said that she had actually already been trying with every cycle with her husband because they were actively very much trying for a second child. And furthermore, neither of them thought that they finished. Yeah. They would have been very surprised if something leapt out of him and got into her because it did not seem like it had occurred that way. So he said they talked privately then, and then there was one other occasion where they met at a coffee shop, and that was around the time that she was seeking a divorce from Brad, and it was mostly because she was worried that it would come up in her divorce. She wanted to know if he had ever told Heather about their one-night indiscretion because obviously he had had an affair with her as well. Yeah. And he said he hadn't, and she was like, okay, I'm going to be seeking a divorce from Brad, and I really don't want that to come up. Yeah. So they also cross-examined a prosecution witness trying to get him to say that he had also made a pass at Nancy, which he denied. And they said, well, wasn't this other guy, this other friend and neighbor of yours, wasn't he quoted saying he wanted to fuck Nancy? And the witness was like, well, you know, he only said that in the heat of the moment because he was in a fight with his wife and he wanted to piss her off. (laughs) Not cool. Guys, what is going on in this neighborhood? This is not Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. No. Please don't be my neighbor. <laughs> Please don't be my neighbor. By bringing up all of this nonsense gossip and innuendo, the defense was attempting to prove that the police had fixated on Brad and they had not investigated these myriad other men who were interested in Nancy or had had relationships with Nancy and that it also served to mitigate the salacious details of Brad's own infidelities. Yeah. They're like, look, she's just as bad. In closing, the defense argued that there was no physical evidence at all tying Brad to the murder. Not a shred of Nancy's hair or DNA had been discovered in Brad's trunk. And that the police had gone to such lengths to make an arrest that they had planted the Google Map evidence. So the other thing that they said was that John Pearson was a very viable suspect as well and that they hadn't looked at him, the guy who had the one night stand with Nancy. And this is, again, Heather Mitor got dragged through the mud with this one. I mean, she still is. This is very many years later. And sadly, I'm mentioning her on a podcast. 
And this other guy was potentially getting set up for the murder, too. The defense was like, hey, look at him. He's pretty good. What if he believes that that's his kid and he wants to knock her off so that she doesn't tell anyone so that he doesn't have to pay child support? He's like, I don't know what to do. I didn't mean to get into the situation. I was drunk and she was pretty. And now here I am years later and you think I murdered somebody. I have an alibi. And he did. He did have an alibi. But this is, again, guys, one of the reasons not to cheat is apparently so you don't get implicated in a murder by accident. So they pleaded for the jury to deliver justice for Brad, the wrongly accused, and Nancy, the victim, by acquitting Brad so the police could focus on finding Nancy's real murderer. Well, let's see what kind of justice the jury doled out. After nine hours of deliberation, they delivered a... Guilty as fuck. Verdict. (laughs) Let the record show his guilty AF. Brad was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. What do we call that, Andy? That's an LWAP. Yep. The Renz family rejoiced because they felt like justice had been served and they were tremendously relieved to remain in custody of Nancy's daughters. Goodness. But the conclusion of the trial was also full of sadness. Yeah. Two young people, they were both in their early 30s, I believe, their lives had been destroyed. Nancy was no longer with them. And Brad would spend the rest of his life behind bars. Yeah, but it was because of him. Well, yes. But then there's also two little girls who had lost both parents. Gracious as ever, the Rences also reached across the aisle and invited Brad's mother to make sure to see the kids. Oh, my and God. They're amazing. They're so amazing. I mean, I can't say enough about how gracious this family is. Later on, Gary would say to the media, you feel like a parent. It's a child and someone else's child that's on trial. So you feel for them, as I'm sure they felt for us. The message we wanted to give to them was that you're the other half of the grandparent role for two young women, and we need that communication to be open. Oh, God. You do not get many people that can be that gracious. No. And open-hearted. Yes. The Renz family expressed gratitude towards the prosecution, the law enforcement, and Nancy's dedicated loyal friends who had helped them find justice. Yep. He went back to Canada to continue the very long, hard process of supporting Bella and Katie through their grief and building a new normal. Yeah. Unfortunately for the Runces, this case was far from over. What? In 2013, Brad and his attorney successfully appealed his conviction, and it was overturned on the basis that the judge should have let in the two expert witnesses' testimony. That potentially that testimony could have altered the outcome if the jurors had heard that the evidence was potentially planted because it came so much down to that evidence. As such, Brad was awarded a new trial. Okay. Nobody other than Brad and probably his family and his attorneys wanted a new trial. The state didn't want it. They didn't want to do the expense. I think that the prosecutor, the district attorney, was outgoing at that point and didn't want to stay around just to re-prosecute this. Yeah. The Renz family definitely didn't want another trial because they are very smart, good-hearted people who have their hearts in the right place. And they were focused on the girls. Yeah. The girls are getting older. Yeah. They're more aware of what's going on in the media. And they certainly did not want another media spectacle about their mother and their father once more. 
So the prosecution offered a plea deal to Brad, and he took it. Brad pled guilty to second-degree murder and received a sentence of 12 to 15 years with credit for time already served. What? So he would be out in potentially six to seven years. As a condition of the agreement, Brad would rescind any and all parental rights, and he would be permanently restricted from reaching out to his children. Okay. He also had to admit in open court that he had, in fact, killed Nancy. The judge asked Brad point blank, did you, in fact, kill Nancy Cooper and dump her body on Fielding Drive? After some hesitation and a few whispers to his attorneys, he said yes without elaborating further. The judge expressed his last thoughts before sentencing Brad to the agreed-upon sentence. Judge Gessner said, it just bothers me that you have an individual who will, apparently, bargain away their rights as a parent in exchange for a shorter sentence. I find that repulsive. Because he had an opportunity to go to trial and to actually fight for his innocence and actually win back custody of his daughters had he been proven innocent. But he doesn't care. No. He knew he'd be out in six to seven years. He doesn't give a shit about his kids. Whoa. The Rents family was satisfied with the outcome. Donna Rents still wished that Brad had said why he had done what yeah. he had done and that he had elaborated further and maybe had apologized or expressed remorse. But as a whole, the focus for the family had always been on Bella and Katie and seeking a bright outcome for their future. Yep, yep, yep. And now Krista and Jim were able to formally adopt the girls. That's awesome. Which they hadn't been able to do because he hadn't completely yeah. rescinded his parental yeah. rights. So now with that, they believed that there was just so much more opportunity yeah. for them. It's amazing. It's total relief, Krista said. She had by now, by this time, been raising the girls for six years. He doesn't deserve them. He doesn't deserve to know them. And I'm very happy about this. Good. I think it's just so refreshing and like – we often talk about like inhumane as like egregiously terrible, like it's not a human thing, but I almost say inhumanely gracious because humans have been so terrible that they didn't seek out vengeance, that they don't want to seek out to punish Brad. All they want to do is make sure that these two kids are okay. Yeah, that's what's most important now. It is. Yeah. And they were not, they're not looking to punish him. They yeah. just want these two beautiful girls to be okay. In 2020, 47-year-old Brad Cooper was released from prison, and he was deported to Canada. His whereabouts are unknown. Wait. Yeah, he's out. Why is he in Canada, though? Because he's from Canada. Oh, he was originally from Canada. Yeah. I forgot that. Okay. They met in Calgary. Got it. Yep. Whoa. Mm -hmm. I think he was also born in Alberta, by the way. Okay. Yep. So I don't really know where he is. I'm sure somebody does. I'm sure that the Renses are able to be aware of where he is. Okay. But as far as I know. Yeah, I don't like that they're, that he's even in the same country as those girls. Well, Canada's a big place. <laughs> from what I've read, he has not tried to contact them. That's at least from my limited knowledge about how this all shook out. But hopefully it does stay that way. Hopefully he does not try to contact yeah. Bella and Katie, they are now teenage girls. And I really do hope that, and I believe that the Renses have kept the love that their mother had for them. And gosh, it sounds like they have no end of people who loved Nancy, yeah. able to tell them 
how wonderful she was and how much she truly adored them. Yeah. The through line of this episode is that she would have done anything for them. Yeah. So I hope that they're out there doing well and God bless the Reds family. Seriously. For everything. <laughs> Just. Everything. And this is a situation that breaks many people. Yeah. And they handled it with incredible grace. So well done. And I hope you've all found healing. In conclusion, PSA, think twice before you cheat. You might end up the suspect in a murder. And just don't cheat. Oh, yeah. Also that. Yeah. Thanks, Andy. Also, maybe just like don't loan your router like (laughs) ever to anyone. Any Like your Wi-Fi router? Just your- Any router. Your Cisco router? Any router. Just keep your routers to yourself, people. And as always, trust your gut when it comes to love so no one ends up murdered. Bye. Love you guys. Bye.